Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good to see you all in worship this morning. Um, if I have a, an especially self-satisfied look today, I want you to know that I successfully kept my son alive for 48 hours by myself. Maybe you're as surprised as I was. (laughs) Today we begin a new sermon series, Searching for Resurrection. We're going to look at several characters in the story of Jesus, in his passion story, in the events leading up to his crucifixion. And we're going to look at how they are searching for resurrection and how it can shine a light on our own search. Kind of came across this idea in a book by... The theologian Samuel Wells used to teach at Duke Divinity School called Power and Passion. He says this, I believe that in Jesus' resurrection lies the power to transform the passion of our lives. So we're going to ask, how can the resurrection reorient, redirect us? How can it set us free to live abundantly as Christ calls us to? Well, today we're going to set the stage for the subsequent weeks by looking at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. (laughs) Kids. (laughs) He's trying to work out the implications of the resurrection. Remember that this letter was sent long before any of our Gospels were written. Okay? So... Earlier in the letter, I'm not going to read from this passage, but at one point he says, if you have any questions about it, go and ask the 500 people that witnessed him at one time. The risen Christ. Okay? And so he writes this, and he's writing kind of a theology of resurrection. What difference does it make? So let us look now at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher that you, by your Spirit, might speak a word that only you can speak, or that we might hear it, that we might let your resurrection life and light animate our lives. May it shine down on us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I've got good news, and I've got bad news for you. And if you're anything like me, You want to get the bad news out of the way first. But before we do that, we need to first understand the kind of news we're talking about. Many people misunderstand what the Bible is. 
Some read it like it's a divine rule book. At RPC in 11, I had a great cartoon I put up that had Jesus speaking to his followers, and he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rules. We assume that the Bible is a collection of legal guidelines, commands, moral principles, like it's the state of Georgia penal code. That it's God's do's and don'ts. But if that's the case, then how and why are all these bad and immoral people lifted up as heroes in the Bible? You have Jacob the trickster, Moses the murderer, you have Rahab the prostitute, David the adulterer and murderer. In the New Testament, you have Peter the denier and the apostle Paul the torturer and killer. Yes, there are rules and commands, but the Bible is not essentially a rule book. The second way that we often misunderstand it is we think it's kind of like a, a self-help book. We think the Bible's full of self-improvement strategies to make our life better. The seven-step plan to a better life. The problem with this view, though, is Oftentimes it doesn't make your life better. You find the people that wrote the Bible paid the ultimate price. Even Jesus, we talked about last week, says, take up your cross and follow me. Those who try to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life will save it. In fact, many of Jesus' followers, their life did not get better. The Bible is not essentially Rules for living, moral principles. It's not about us. It's about God's pursuit of us. Not about humans' pursuit of God. It tells us God's search for humanity to be in relationship. It tells us the story of God, the God revealed in Jesus Christ. It's a book of theology. It's about the intersection of God and humans. The New Testament writers and their audience knew this. Many of them paid the ultimate price for this story they were about to tell about Jesus. They cared about every minute detail in there, every character, every plot twist in the story. They wanted to hear about the new thing that God had done in Jesus Christ. And that news is theological in nature. Now let's get to the bad news. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he talks to them straight. He tells them some tough truths about the bad news. He'll give us a little theology 101. He says, death is a part and a reality of the human condition. You cannot escape it. He says, it became a part of the human condition through Adam, Adam. In Hebrew, it's ha-adam, the human the human is created out of the Adamah. In Hebrew, hear the poetry? The human is created out of the earth, this dirt, dust, soil. From dust you came to dust you will return. This is the human condition. And Paul is straight with us about the bad news. Death came through a human being. Now this can be a pretty depressing reality, if we're honest. I'm reminded of that line by Woody Allen. More than any time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. 
to other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Woody. <laughs> death, death casts a shadow over all of our lives. We will experience, and the ones we love will experience physical death, but we will also see metaphorical death. Death of relationships. Death of career. Everyone we know and love will die. And yes, we will too. And that's the, the bad news. But if you believe that death has the final say, we are in a world of hurt. That means there's no ultimate forgiveness, no eternal joy, no true peace, no ultimate justice or love. Death will have the final say. Is this it? Is this it? I'm reminded of that 2001 hit song by The Strokes with the title, Is This It? And the chorus goes, Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Very creative. <laughs> but it tells the story of this guy who's searching for what he longs for, and every time he gets it, he throws up his hands and says, is this it? He gets it, arrives at a goal and says, is this it? Because if this is it, it's bad news. Because there's this human longing, this human desire for the eternal. We desire good news. And so after Paul gets the bad news out of the way, he gets to the good news. In verse 21 he says, Since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. God has decided to reverse the bad news, and now the news is good. There's been a change in the story. This is like the ultimate sequel. Just as death entered into our human reality through the human being, now resurrection life has entered in through a different human being. Remember when you saw the, the second Star Wars movie? The second one. Not the fifth movie that was the prequel, but the first, second Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. And if you're old enough to remember... The movie ends on a complete and total downer. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Luke's hand's been chopped off. He's discovered that Darth Vader is his father. Han's been frozen in carbonite. He's been kidnapped by Boba Fett. It ends on a real downer. And as you left the, the theater, walked out those back doors, you're going, oh no, what has happened? And you had to wait three whole years it was terrible. You're sitting in despair and doubt and even death itself. And, oh no, Darth's his dad. He lost an arm. What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of it? I think Paul is doing the same thing for us. Saying, yes, there is disease. Yes, there is despair. Yes, there's death. But there is good news on the other side. And now Paul gets to the new good news. Notice what he does. He hearkens back to the creation story. I think this is intentional. What, what is Paul doing here? Paul is saying, resurrections aren't happening all over the place. It's not like a common occurrence. This is unique in kind. 
It's like, can only be comparable maybe to the creation of the world of something from nothing. This is a new creation. What God has done in Jesus Christ is what we might call an apocalyptic event where God has been outside of human reality and has broken into it. And this has been a groundbreaking development in the history of the world. I once heard a comedian once make a joke that where was everybody going to stand in heaven? There'll be so many people. Wouldn't it be too crowded? And to me, that revealed a failure of imagination. Who could have imagined that God would have created 107 billion unique people in the history of the world? No two are exactly alike. God's never made a duplicate. And so if, surely if God can do that, he can intervene through resurrection. Several years ago, I read this great book titled, Some, 40 Tales of Afterlives. It's a short little book, 100 pages, I could even read it. And it's got these 40 little, like one to two page kind of visions of what the afterlife might be like. It's written by a a neuroscientist named named David Eagleman. It's a work of speculative fiction. In one of them, it's called Descent of Species. You get to decide what you want to be in the afterlife. And he imagines in this little story, he says, you know, been overwhelmed by decisions and stress and responsibilities. This person decided to be a horse. In another, the microbe, God is so small he doesn't even know we exist. In another, he calls graveyard of the gods, the afterlife contains everything that humans have created. Cell phones, coffee mugs, business cards, and the like. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to expand our imagination of what is possible. In fact, he doesn't call himself a theist or an atheist. He calls himself a possibilian. What is possible? I think the Apostle Paul would have liked that book. He writes at another place in this great letter, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to blow your mind, Paul is saying. You can't even conceive of it. And so that is the good news. We stand in the reality of the bad news of death, but then we hear the good news of resurrection. And so, it should have a transformative impact on our lives. I believe that if we ground our lives in that good news of resurrection, the, the rays of light that come from it might shine into our present darkness. With all of the recent news about the coronavirus, I've been thinking a lot about Albert Camus' 1948 novel, The Plague. If you don't speak French, it's Albert Camus. (laughs) Camus was one of the great intellectuals and great writers of the 20th century. And when he published this book, it's a novel about how human beings respond to radical evil. It's an allegorical novel. tells the story of the city of Oran in Algiers, stricken with the plague. 
Initially, people barely notice the plague is there, but eventually it emerges and rises and eventually decimates the city. By the end of the book, it recedes and seemingly disappears. Camus uses the plague as a metaphor for radical evil. And when that radical evil tries to take over a society, I think he has the Nazis probably in the back of his mind, but he thinks this is just the way evil works. And what he does in the novel is he has several different characters, and different characters represent different worldviews and how they respond to evil. The Christian worldview is represented by a priest named Father Panelu. Father Panelu preaches two sermons in the novel. At the beginning of the novel, the plague is decimating the society, and he gives this sermon, and it's a word of judgment. He says the plague is punishment for their sin. It's full of language of I and you. 150 pages later, he preaches a second sermon. Over those 150 pages, Father Panelu has been busy ministering to the, the sick, sitting with people in their suffering, trying to help. And so then he gives his second sermon in the novel, and he has changed his tune. Now from I and you language, it's we. We're in this together. How do we fight the plague? How do we come together? And Camus is asking the question, why does Father Panelu fight the plague? In fact, he gives up his own life in fighting Father Panelou believed in the good news of resurrection offered in Jesus Christ, that in the face of death, disease, and despair, we can fight it. We can fight the bad news because the news in the end is good. We believe that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And that defeat began 2,000 years ago on a cross on a hill named Golgotha. So over these Sundays in Lent, we're going to be looking at figures in the passion story of Jesus, seeing how do they miss the resurrection and how does the resurrection solve the problems of their lives? How does it animate them? We're going to look at Pontius Pilate, Barabbas, Pilate, Mrs. Pilate. We're going to look at the bad news of their lives, the death of reputations, the death of of their hopes, the death of careers and goals, and ultimately the ultimate death. They will hear bad news, but we will look and say, how can we hear the good news of resurrection? The resurrection is that great ray of light that shines its light into our present darkness. Another character in the plague says it well. All I maintain is that there are on this earth pestilences and there are victims. And it's up to us, so far as possible, not to join forces with the pestilences. That may sound simple to the point of childishness. I can't judge if it's simple, but I know it's true. Death is the great pestilence. But in the resurrection, Jesus Christ has, has extinguished its power. God has beaten death. Can we live in response to that great victory? Oh yes, there is bad news. But in the end, the last word is the news is good. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that even though there is much bad news, 
that because of your resurrection life, in the end, the news is good. May we let that life and that light reflect into our lives and flow out into the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.